God bless you all. We are back. It's good to be continuing with our series, How to Stay Free. My wife and I are happy to be back after an assignment in Boston last week working on the future. The future is great, isn't it? To think about the future, we must consider where we've been in the past. And for many of us, our past is a runaway train wreck. I know I'm not alone, and you are not alone either. We can learn a lot at Bible sessions here at the Resurrection Centers. We make a lot of sense of things. For example, what's the leading cause of dry skin? Well, it's towels. Towels dry your skin, right? That makes sense, right? Also at the Resurrection Center, we state the obvious. That may not seem like the obvious. For example, two men meet on opposite sides of the river, and one shouts to the other, I need, I need to be on the other side. And the other guy shouts, you are on the other side. You see, at the Resurrection Center, we make sense of things. Tonight, we give honor to our pastors and our apostles. We're chatting tonight how to stay free. The only way to stay free is to not get caught. So that's tonight's message, how not to get caught. The subtitle, don't do it again. That's the idea. Unfortunately, we all have gotten caught at one time or another in our lives. It's all about making mistakes. That's our sin. To not get caught is to not sin. Do it right the first time. Our Bible session helps us deal with mistakes. Yes, mistakes. Have you ever made a mistake? Do you think I have ever made mistakes? Right now, my wife wants to take the microphone and all she needs is an hour or so. To make mistakes is human. Yes, human. To blame someone else for your mistakes is strategic. I'm only kidding. When I was young, I did stupid things because I didn't know any better. Now I know better and do stupid things because I miss being young. Back then, I figured some mistakes are too much fun to only make once. I was ignorant. Let me tell you, for maximum intention, nothing beats a good mistake. You've all been there. I've been there. We've all been there before. Some of us learn from the mistakes of others. The rest of us have to be others who make the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to learn from others' mistakes. I wish people would learn something from me. And let's talk about marriage. Is my wife looking at me? Behind every angry woman is a man who has absolutely no idea what he did wrong. I've been repeating the same mistakes in life for so long now, I think I'll start calling them traditions. My wife doesn't like it when I tell her any married man should forget his mistakes. There's no use in two people remembering the same thing. But my wife gets me back. She says the man wears the pants in the house, but it's the woman that tells the man where, what pants to wear. Let's read John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say, they said. This is to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone to her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. 
Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. And that's in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. You see, some things are happening when Jesus arrives from his place of prayer at the Mount of Olives and shares his insight and wisdom. The scribes and Pharisees come from judgment and are set on vengeance. Think of that. Jesus allows the woman to see a new freedom. Not only is she saved from stoning, but Jesus asked her to move on. That means to move forward in life. Do not sin again. Don't give into any false image that limits or diminishes you. The pronouncement of forgiveness is stated first and is not made conditional on the turn from sin. Rather, the turning from sin seems to flow from the experience of forgiveness. Did you hear me say the phrase experience of forgiveness? It is often said that it is easier to give than to receive. Now check this out. The question is, do I believe in the possibility of forgiveness? Think of that. Do you believe in the possibility of forgiveness? Are there times when I find it easier to forgive than to believe myself forgiven? And what about you? Are there times when you find it easier to forgive than to believe yourself forgiven? Think of yourself as renewed as if you are in the beginning. What does that mean? It means to always be in the beginning. To do that, you must let the past go. The saints were always beginning. Think of that. The saints were always beginning. That is how they became saints. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, <clears throat> to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And that is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. We can be renewed. That's called repentance. Let me tell you a story of decades ago when I suffered from alcoholism and sleeping pill addiction. The alcohol was basic beer. It's funny how drinking eight glasses of water a day seems impossible, but eight beers go down quicker than an elephant on a seesaw. I learned something. Beer doesn't make you fat. It makes you lean. Think of that. Beer doesn't make you fat. It makes you lean. Lean on tables, lean on chairs, lean on random people. At the time, I didn't care. I knew that beer may not solve your problems, but then again, neither will water or soda. I tried hard to succeed in things in my life. Unfortunately, the sins and failures of my life did not allow me to move forward. Many people told me to finish what I had started. I understood the phrase, to finish what I start. My friends and family told me to finish what I had started. So I would come home and I would see the half a bottle of wine on the shelf. <laughs> yep, I finished what I started. In all of that, God was there. I changed. I didn't do it alone. God was there. God transforms our lives. Did you know that? He can heal our bodies, our minds, and even change the events of our life, for nothing is impossible for him. God cleans us up by taking our sins away from our life and making us a new creature in Christ. But every day, he, he works on us to make us what we need to be for him in this life. I have many flaws in my life, 
but God daily helps me to change these flaws and to become the man that he desires me to be. Our gradual inside-out transformation as Christians represents some major changes in a number of areas of our lives. <clears throat> there are numerous powerful stories in Scripture of people whose emerging faith and trust in God, obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and spiritual growth totally transformed who they became as individual. As they were being changed from the inside out, they grew into more mature Christians. We see this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Our viewpoint changes as our spiritual eyes become increasingly more focused on Christ on things pertaining to heaven. It's all about priorities. We see that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, which says, And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And again, that's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. Jesus hit it on the nail on the head when he said, For for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's in Matthew 6, 21. If we are not careful as believers, we can forget those things that are most important in life and get our priorities out of order. Let me tell you about Tom Landry. He was an American professional football player and coach. He was the first head coach of the Dallas Cowboys in the National Football League, a position he held for 29 seasons. It's a long time. Someone once asked Tom Landry why he had been so successful as head football coach during his 29 tenure with the Dallas Cowboys. He responded in 1958, I did something everyone who has been successful must do. I determined my priorities for my life, God, family, and then football. The Apostle Paul was telling Timothy about priorities too in Ephesus. Ephesus is located near the western shores of modern-day Turkey, about 80 kilometers south of Izmir. It's about 50 miles. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, the scripture says, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. It's all about being responsible. Yes, responsible. For the youth of today, you can look at that, uh, that word up in uh, the dictionary. Being a responsible person is usually a good thing. It means you're committed, dependable, accountable, and care for others. I'll say that again. It means you're committed, dependable, accountable, and care about others. It's the opposite of escaping responsibility by pointing fingers or making excuses. People feel great when they are responsible because it's a good feeling of knowing and doing what is right. In Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, describes it this way. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not uh, have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times even defending them. And that's in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. The Bible teaches that right 
is always right and wrong is always wrong, regardless who the parties involved might be. God put that in our hearts and consciences, expecting each of us to take personal responsibility and accountability for our actions. What does that look like? Let's find out. First, when you agree to do something, do it. If you let people down, they'll stop believing you. When you follow through on your commitments, people take you seriously. Number two, answer for your own actions. Don't make excuses or blame others for what you do. When you take responsibility for your actions, you are saying, I'm the one who's in charge of my life. And number three, take care of your own matters. Don't rely on adults to remind you when you're supposed to be somewhere or what you're supposed to be bringing. Take the responsibility. And number four, be trustworthy. If somebody trusts you to borrow or take care of something, take care of it. If someone tells you something in confidence, keep it to yourself. It is important for people to know they can count on you. That's called integrity. And next, always use your head. Think things through and use good judgment. When you use your head, you make better choices. That shows your parents they can trust you. And finally, don't put things off. When you have a job to do, do it. Doing things on time helps you take control of your life and shows that you can manage your own affairs. So that's it. If you think that you have a responsibility to do something, you feel that you ought to do it because it is morally right to do it. Each step we take towards being responsible and productive helps to raise our self-esteem and our relationships with friends, family, and coworkers. Improve a lot. Being responsible has advantages. We have much less stress and chaos in our lives, and we gain the respect of others. Isn't it worth it? Our responsible actions set us free. We are not held in bondage of the captivity of guilt or to the control of other people. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, the scripture says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Which brings us to, let's talk a little bit about bondage. What's that? What is bondage? The word bondage is defined as the state of being a slave. So the term spiritual bondage would essentially mean the state of being a spiritual slave. In general, we could use the term spiritual bondage to refer to anything that keeps us from being fully submitted. There will always be the temptation to sin, so it is important that believers cut off temptation when it begins. For example, if believers allow sins like anger, lying, greed, and unforgiveness to remain in their hearts, it becomes an open door to give the devil a foothold. God can change impossible situations. He sometimes moves mysteriously, but will provide what you need in miraculous ways. And it is going to be far better than you can ever imagine. So do what you can, and God will successfully execute what you can. A divine shift is a supernatural move from one place to another, a slight change in position or direction. The supernatural act of putting one thing in the place of another or changing the place of a person or thing. An example is Maria moving from Columbia to Western Mass and I moving from Boston to Western Mass. The story of what happened in the year 2002 that we talked about during the marriage conference on March 12th and couples night in November of last year is what is called the divine shift. 
things were put in order and then put in motion all according to God's will. 20 years later, it's a testimony. That's the result of a divine shift, a testimony. A divine shift is outside of the pattern of this world. It is a process of a renewal of the way you think that is more God-like and less world-like. A testimony results because the story you tell shows God's will. It's all explained in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And that's in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Now, we all wish everything would stay rosy and peachy. You know, for example, my wife bought a new carpet for the living room. We had a carpet there already, but she wanted something fresh and new. She didn't tell me with fear that I might be disenchanted. Well, I love it. When I walk on it in barefoot, it immediately reminds me of the carpeted flooring of my house where I grew up as a boy in Boston. As a child, the softness of the flooring was as soft as the flooring of my life. My parents protected my siblings and I from the true nature of the world. I didn't know of the addictions that I would endure in the future, and I paid the price. Back then, there were no computer games. For some reason, I never started smoking. As for alcohol, the town I grew up in outside of Boston was dry, no beer or wine sold. It was a safe place. Then I went to the university. That's when I saw the world. When I started my business almost 30 years ago, I saw betrayal, deception, manipulation, and attacks. Yes, I saw betrayal, deception, manipulation, and attacks. What I saw caused me to react in a way not practiced before. It had to do with coping. I didn't know how. That's when I met my friend, Mr. Beer in a Can, and all of his friends, Budweiser, Heineken, and others. I medicated all sorts of life struggles with drinking beer. I'll say that again. I medicated all sorts of life struggles with drinking beer. I started to think, never look at beer as your as half empty. Look at it as halfway to your next beer. That's how I thought of it. Yet, I was in a business established in Boston. I planned for the future. My thinking was bad. How does a man show that he's planning for the future? He buys two cases of beer. <laughs> On certain days, I would say to myself, this beer tastes like I'm not going to work tomorrow. <laughs> yep, beer gave me a reason to wake up in the afternoon. My addiction to beer was something that I needed to protect. I believed in the lie that I was okay and in control, yet it was a lie. I believed in the lie that I was okay and in control. I was ignorant and powerless. I was protecting beer. Spilling a beer is the same as a kid dropping an ice cream. Ah! My addiction was captivity. Addictions are captivity. They control you. You do not control it. My addiction mastered me. I did not master the addiction. An addiction is anything that brings pleasure for the moment, but in the end, it brings some sort of destruction into our lives. Some addictions are substances that we consume, such as alcohol, drugs, or cigarettes. Even food can be, an ad be addictive if too much or unhealthy. And some addictions do not involve physical consumption, but are solely behaviors, such as pornography or gambling. When we add up all the addictions, we discover that about half of all Americans are addicted to something. In my case, and as a blessing with grace, Christ came into my life and he delivered me before it was too late, before my life would be totally destroyed. I know people close to me who have not been delivered. They live the tragedy. 
Know this, Jesus came to set us free. In John chapter 8, verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. And that's in John chapter 8, verse 36. And in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus came to set the captives free. That's in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. You can also learn that addictions are our enemy, and Jesus came to rescue us from our enemies. And that's in Luke chapter 1, verse 69 through 75. In Luke chapter 1, through uh, verse 69 through 75, the scripture says, He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him with, without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And that's in Luke chapter 1, verse 69 through 75. I know that Jesus rescued me. Are you held captive? And today is March 23rd, coming up next. The Braveheart Men's Group will be fighting for our families on Friday, March 25th at 7 p.m. via Zoom. Stay tuned. It's all part of the series, Six Battles Every Man Must Win. Join us, won't you? Our focus will be the families that we men are responsible to uh, protect. And at 10 a.m. the following day on Saturday will be a woman's brunch with a lot of food and excitement of a good word. To discover more, click the events tab on our website, resurrectionspringfield.org. There's more to come. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TRC413. You can check our, out our streaming channel on YouTube at ResSense Spring. We're also on ResurrectionCenterRadio.com. Join us this Sunday at noon, and in a few weeks, we'll dive into new series. Wednesdays at 7 p.m., we'll wrap up next week and then have prayer night at the start of April before diving into a new series. First Roots is coming up, so we'll chat about that, too. So much more is to come. Be with us, won't you? My name is Dave.